chapter 5. You'll also find the text on the back of your sermon outline, along with a few others that I may mention today. Billy Graham's wife was once interviewed, and she was asked by the television correspondent, in your marriage to Billy, have you ever considered divorce? And she said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. (laughs) And what she was getting at is that even marriage to Billy Graham is hard. Marriage isn't always easy. Ask my wife. It can be very hard. Yes, yes, marriage was created before the fall of mankind, and in the Garden of Eden, everything was declared very good. Marriage is good, it is very good, and good, and yet, in this fallen world, there can be stress between a husband and a wife. There can be hostility between a husband and a wife. There can be betrayal between a husband and a wife. And sometimes there is divorce. Some of us in this room have experienced the trauma of divorce. Some of us are children of divorce. And while we have not come across a whole lot of passages in our preaching over the past few years that directly address this subject, today we do. But before I read the text, I want to say very clearly to those of you here in this room, listening online, those of you who've been through divorce or touched by it, You are not a second-class member of this church or the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid that many times and in many places the church somehow has communicated to people who've been through that trauma that they were second-class Christians or not welcome. And and I just want to say that here and now in this church family, we want to be a healing community for you. We want you to know the welcoming love of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. We do not tolerate gossip in this church, all right? Or slander that attacks other people's reputation because of whatever they've been through. Listen, you don't know what other people have been through. You don't. So guard your heart against judging other people. I hope you hear me on this. And I also want to say, because when you preach a sermon like this, some people get distressed, I want you to know that this is not directed at you. It's not. It's not directed at anyone in particular. We just want God's Word to speak to us all. John Stott says, There is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. 
and almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love to degenerate into a non-relationship of bitterness and discord and despair. So we're going to reflect at what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, and then Matthew 5 is the abbreviated form, and then Matthew 19, interestingly, is an extended conversation that he has with the Pharisees on this subject. And we'll look at them together. Hear the Word of God, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, 19, 3 through 9. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now down in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So far the reading of God's Word. Matthew 19, verse 3, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they're on the hunt. They are going to test Him. What are they going to test Him about? Is it lawful to divorce the wife for any and every reason? And what they are doing is they are inviting Jesus into the controversy of their day. And they want to know from Jesus, Jesus, do you have a strict view of divorce or do you have a loose view of divorce? And before we look at what Jesus has to say about the controversy, it's really interesting to just see this this striking response of Jesus is that when he answers them, he doesn't start by talking about divorce. What does he talk about? He says, well, first, first, we have to talk about marriage. Haven't you read? Read what? Read what? The Bible. Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. That's the way Jesus went. That's the way we should go when we think about issues like this. And what does he talk about? He talks about where marriage came from. And he talks about who's in it. And he talks about what marriage is all about. He says, and before we discuss the subject you guys raised, let's make sure we're on the same page with what God's Word says about the origin of marriage and the nature of marriage and the permanence of marriage. So... They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
And I, I think, can I just say, this is really important. You can't talk about divorce unless you understand what marriage is, this divine institution, this covenant of companionship where God joins a man and a woman and they become one. So Christians, contemporary discussions of marriage going on in our culture, we go back with Jesus and we say, haven't you read? What was it like in the beginning? What does God's Word say? And I think it's important for every one of you here to answer the question, what do you believe about the nature of marriage? What do you believe? Where did you learn what you believe about the nature of marriage? Did you learn it in your Anthropology 101 class in college when you were 18? Is that where you learned what marriage is? Jesus says, let's learn it from the Bible. And parents, you know, we want to teach our children that fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. We're really big on that. But we also need to teach and instruct our children as to the nature of marriage, if they are going to grow, because they're not going to learn it in elementary school or high school. They're going to learn it from us. So we need to teach them. Now, uh, I hope you're with me on that. Point number two, which is my main point today, and then we'll move through rather quickly the others. Jesus and the rest of the Bible speak to the issue and the tragedy of divorce. Because the Pharisees seem to respond to Jesus' instruction by saying, yeah, yeah. But why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And they're following up on this earlier question, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any and every reason? And they are actually asking a technical question that's exposed in this, the NIV transit for any reason. I think the King James transit for, translates it for any cause. But they framed the question like that for a particular reason. And the reason is that in the time of Jesus, there was a kind of divorce that was called the any cause divorce. And it was very popular. We, we learn about it in the history books. We see examples of it in uh, antiquities uh, that Josephus wrote about uh, and in, in some of the documents discovered by the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, what it reflected was that about 30 or 40 years before Jesus, there was a rabbi named Rabbi Hillel. And there was another, another rabbi named Rabbi Shimai. And the two of them disagreed about Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And in, back in Deuteronomy 24, uh, verse 1, we read uh, that if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her of a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, and then it goes on. And Deuteronomy 24 is apparently regulating the subject of divorce, but in the Hebrew language... Where it says something indecent or some, some indecency, you actually have two nouns. Or you, have, uh, you have something and indecency. 
Here's what Rabbi Hillel said. Rabbi Hillel said that must mean there's two things. Indecency must be sexual immorality, but the something, well, that could just be something, something displeasing. And so he started to teach that if you have something displeasing about your wife, maybe it was immorality, but if it was something displeasing, maybe, and if this was documented, if she burned your dinner and you were displeased, you would write her a certificate of divorce if you wanted to get rid of her and send her away. If there were a few more wrinkles than there used to be, you would write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And that was the school of Rabbi Hillel. And there were many, many divorces like that in that time. And Rabbi Shemai said, not so fast. Don't play so fast and loose with the Bible. That some indecency is not two things, it's one thing. It's immorality. And that's the ground for divorce, but not, nothing otherwise. So, when they came to Jesus and they said, is it lawful to divorce for any cause? They're, we're asking Jesus, which side of this debate are you on, Jesus? And Jesus... When he answers it, he says, any divorced person who remarries is committing adultery. That is, anybody who's of that any cause rule, what they're doing is unlawfully and unrighteously breaking that marriage commandment just in order to get another wife. I don't want you anymore. I want her. I send you away. I take her. And Jesus says, that's adultery. That's forcing the, one, the woman out of the covenant forcing her to find refuge somewhere else, and you're supposed to be together still. Because of sin, because of the hardness of heart, God permitted and regulated divorce, but it is not just a matter of getting the paperwork right. You see, and that's what the Pharisees were really focusing on. And Jesus comes back to the heart right here, and He shocked, He shocked the people around Him. Because a lot of them would have already had no divorce, no uh, um, for any cause divorces. Now that brings us to today, and I think that we do well right now to just reflect on what we read earlier from the Confession of Faith, which summarizes the biblical teaching. I'm sorry if you thought that was a little bit long, as we in our time of the Creed we went through all of that, but. Um, that's our essential position, what we believe, what we teach, what we hold. Within our denomination, some people are more restrictive. Within our denomination, some people uh, have a wider view. But what we understand from the Scriptures is that when you're going through a hard time in your marriage, when there is tension, when there is misunderstanding and you are so frustrated with your husband or your wife, we still understand that the Bible prohibits divorce except on two biblical grounds. We read them earlier, and the grounds are sexual immorality and the abandonment of a non-Christian spouse. So while God wants marriages to be permanent, and while God says, let it not be broken, sometimes it is. 
And sometimes divorce is permissible. And sometimes it is even granted for the protection of the one who's been sinned against or abandoned. Okay, I hope I'm clear on that. Uh, the exception clause that permits divorce is in Matthew 5.19, except in the case of immorality. The desertion clause is in Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians 7.15 that says, if the unbeliever wants to go, let them go. You are no longer bound. Those are the two passages that really are very clear, that clearly address this. Now, right at this point, some people who know their Bibles really well, they say, hmm, when did divorce become the remedy or a remedy for adultery? After all, Leviticus 20 verse 10 says what the remedy for adultery is. What is the remedy for adultery? Death. And that ends the marriage quickly, right? (laughs) And yet, yet, what was in the mind of Jesus, I'm sure, when he, in, when he makes the exception clause for adultery, is the very action of God Himself. Because you remember in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Jeremiah, God, God reflects on His relationship with Israel as a marriage doesn't he? I I came to you, I wooed you, I covered you. He entered into this marriage contract with Israel, and he loved her. But after a while, Israel did not return the love. Israel's love grew cold, right? And, and, And Jeremiah says, on every high hill and under every green tree, you lay down like a harlot. Hosea says, you went after other lovers and forgot me. And so, God divorced her, Jeremiah 3, verse 8. Israel committed adultery, and I put her away, and I gave her a certificate of divorce. Who did that? God did that. And I'm sure that was in the mind of Jesus. So, adultery is grounds for divorce. And this, at this point in our sermon, it is incumbent on me as a pastor... Not as anybody who's better than anybody else, but I'll tell you this. This is a warning to any of us who are tempted to commit adultery. Right now, there is a warning. It's loud. It's clear. Be on your guard. Satan will show you the bait, but he will not show you the hook and the destruction that follows. And when you're tempted... Flee temptation. Find accountability. Come to a friend in the church. Come to a pastor. Come to an elder. Come to somebody and say, I'm going through a a tempting time. I need help. Let us help you. But hear this warning from Jesus. We saw last week Jesus talking about sex. And we saw that sexual relations are like super glue, right? They're like super glue. And super glue works to hold together the husband and the wife. But if you just have super glue in the wrong places and the, and, the, and the wrong time and with the wrong people, it makes a mess. Super glue, you've got to be careful with super glue. 
So, adultery may grant grounds for divorce. And the second reason, again, 1 Corinthians seven 15, I'll just recite it again, but if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And so while Paul, in that context, he says to believers, don't abandon your partners, and if they've done it, well, you should return to them. Yet in the case of somebody who's abandoned by an unbeliever, well, and, and the unbeliever's not going to come back. You know, if the pastor calls up the unbeliever and says, well, you should return to your wife, he's going to say, well, I'm not a member of your church, and I don't worship your God, and he's not going to tell me what to do, and neither will you. Okay, Paul says, let them go. Let them go. You're not bound. You are free. That's what he says. Even, even in the Old Testament, the slave wife was granted protection Exodus 21, 10 and 11. It's really interesting. It's about the slave wife. And if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. It was a marriage, apparently. And if he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free. And that's just under the rubric of abandonment that's happening there. So while divorce should never happen... And when it happens, it's always a tragedy. There are times that God allows it, and the subsequent remarriage, when your partner breaks the marriage vows. Now, right here, maybe I'm a little insecure. It just might be coming out of my own insecurities. I don't want anybody to think that I'm the pro-divorce pastor, that I'm the easy divorce pastor, that we're that way in our church. If you've been around long, you know that Pastor Martin and I, we, we work hard at marriage counseling. The elders of our church are involved in, in counseling marriages that sometimes are on the brink. They're on the cliff. And God, we, we hope, would use us to help pull people back away from the cliff. And there's been oftentimes healing and, and, and strength and, and newness in a marriage But I must also tell you that I have been involved pastorally in situations where I thanked God that He allowed a party in the marriage, one of the people, to escape the degradation and the humiliation that fell upon them because of the actions of the other spouse, and that it was the reflection of the merciful heart of God the pastoral heart of God, the shepherding heart of God, that He actually, by His Word, would allow that person to let the other one go. Well, if divorce happens, is remarriage permitted in the Bible? That's number three. And um, let's just acknowledge right at the beginning that the question of remarriage in general is not a problem in the Bible, right? The whole book of Ruth is about the remarriage of that dear woman. And Paul tells Timothy that the younger widows should remarry and have children. And, and, uh, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, in this very same passage, it, he says that uh, those people are free, no longer bound, and if they are free, they're free to remarry. 
So this, I'm sorry, so the con, the, that, that's 739. A wife is bound to her husband for as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wants to, but only in the Lord. So the general concept of remarriage is approved of in the Bible. But now you get to the sticky question. What about remarriage after divorce? And it's emotionally charged in our day. And there are some Christian churches that say no, rem- no divorce, no remarriage, no remarriage ever. You have other churches that seem to be very lax on the whole subject. It seems to me, it seems to me that sometimes remarriage is permissible, but there may be occasions where it's not. For someone who has biblical grounds for divorce, there are biblical grounds for remarriage. That's what the Bible teaches. The exception clause of Matthew 19, verse 9, which says you can divorce for adultery, is also including the remarriage clause. And the person who makes that argument clearly is John Murray in his great book on divorce. If you want to debate me on that subject of whether or not it applies You have to read John Murray's book first and Jay Adams' book first, and then maybe if we still need to debate, we can do that. And if you are divorced because of abandonment, according to that biblical provision, you are free and no longer bound, and if you are free, you are free to remarry. And again, Sinclair Ferguson is the one who pointed out that whole thing about Leviticus 20, verse 10. If there's been adultery... What's the Old Testament penalty? Death, that ends the marriage, and that person is free to remarry. So um, Ferguson says, as the Westminster Confession does, you can remarry as though that person were dead. But what is complex is the situation where people were divorced improperly because the divorce itself was without grounds and was sinful. And um, Paul seems to indicate in 1 Corinthians 7, 11, he seems to indicate the possibility of that situation where two Christians were divorced improperly. Some people say, well, no, that's just hypothetical. It can't ever really happen. But, but if it, Paul seems to indicate it as a reality in the church of Corinth. So if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So in that case, there has to be more work done on the whole reconciliation process. And that, in that case, it may be hard to do what's right. I have to tell you, one of the most difficult things I ever did as a pastor was over 20 years ago. There was a woman in our church, early 30s, and she wanted to be married. She really was desired a husband. And one day she said, John, I'm engaged to be married to a wonderful Christian man, and I can't wait for you to meet him. And we did meet him, and he was a great guy. Uh, tell me about yourself. And we learned a lot about him, but... but we also learned he was divorced. Well, what happened? Well, you know, sometimes you just fall out of love, and you've got to move on. And my wife, she's still in Philadelphia. She's still in the church. I knew the church. My kids are there. 
She is, is she? Um, well, what did your pastor say as you were going through the divorce? Oh, he was against it. He didn't. He told us we shouldn't. He told me I shouldn't. But, you know, sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And the pastor wanted you to come back? Yeah. And your wife wants you to be in the marriage? Yeah. And so 1 Corinthians seven eleven comes back into my mind. I run back to the elders and I say, I think we have a challenging pastoral situation on our hands. And we agreed in this case, as we looked at that man's life, that he was not free to remarry in the Lord at this time. And we had the unhappy duty of going to our sister, this one in our church, and saying, we look at his life and we read the scriptures, he's not free to marry you. And with tears in our eyes and hers. She said, well, I need to follow the Lord. I need to do what Scripture says, and she ended the engagement. Four years later, she met the most wonderful Christian man in our church, and they married, and today they have three beautiful children and a, and a great life together. God was kind to her, wasn't he? But sometimes it's hard to do what's right. Now, quickly, points four, five, and six, just through them quickly. I just want to say, in a, in a sermon like this, it makes it so important to protect our marriages. If you're a single person here today, I know you may be thinking, oh, there they go again. They're always talking about family stuff and marriage stuff. No, we aren't. We aren't always talking about it. It just seems that way to you. But we aren't, I promise you. But one day you might be married, and so this is important. And the Puritans used to say, marriage should not be entered into lightly or unadvisedly. And there's a typo in your bulletin on your sermon outline. It says advisedly. It should say unadvisedly. That means you should get counsel. You should get advice. Some of you know this is not self-promoting. I've written this little booklet called Pre-Engagement, Five Questions to Ask Yourselves Before You Get Engaged. I'm, I'm startled. It's sold over 10,000 copies, and, and I've gotten letters, people who say, this was helpful in deciding whether or not to marry, because marriage is not for children. When you get married, you are assuming responsibilities that are going to challenge you and test you, and so you need to be prepared before you enter into marriage. But... As fast as some people rush into marriage, other people rush into divorce. And they're just once they have, every time they have a fight, they say, well, that's it. I'm calling the lawyer. And you shouldn't do that either. You shouldn't rush into divorce. So the confession said, why is that? Because you need to cool down. Because you need to remember what marriage is all about. You need to remember Jesus Christ and the power of His love that we sang about over and over again. Believe the gospel. This is a call to faith right now. You need to believe the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ will always be faithful to you. So you be faithful to Him. Before he ascended into heaven, he made the most wonderful promise. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will not. 
He keeps his promises. In the very next verses, he says, let your yes be yes. When you take an oath, when you make a vow, let your yes be yes. And Jesus Christ is the faithful bridegroom. He is never an adulterer. He will always love you. If you're the, like the slave wife who the guy won't give her food or provisions, he will, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will always care for you. He will never lie to you. And when you sin and fall, he will welcome you back. Even as Hosea said, the gospel of Jesus Christ, come back, come back to me. The Lord said, return to Jehovah. And that needs to be reflected then in your believing that about God to you. You need to remember that when you get into a fight with your husband or your wife. And I know a couple, and they fight like anybody else. But they've learned a secret in their marriage. The husband says, when I say something that makes her cry... It breaks my heart. And I know I need to repent. And then I say to her, If you leave me, can I come with you? I like that. And he says, And that's the signal. That's the signal that we need to reconcile and we need to work this through. And she says to me, If you leave me, can I come with you? You see, that's the tenderness of the gospel at work in a marriage. Not declaring their own rights, but one humbling themselves before the other. Don't try and solve your problems on your own. Jesus Christ is the source of wisdom and power and forgiveness and strength. You know, Henny Youngman, the comedian, he said this, The secret of a happy marriage is still a secret. No, it's not. No, it's not, Henny. No sermon on divorce should ever end without saying the secret to a happy marriage is the love and grace of Jesus Christ that is lived out in the small details of life where you give the best to each other. And I've told you what the best is. I got it from these books. Ed Wheat, Dr. Ed Wheat, he wrote this book, Love Life for Every Married Couple. Wonderful book. Tim Keller's fantastic book, The Meaning of Marriage, that was read in our parents with young children class. Uh, for you when, you, when you're fighting with your husband or your wife, Paul Tripp wrote the book, What Did You Expect? And Dave Harvey, when it's really bad, he wrote, When Sinners Say I Do. Ed Wheat says, Give the best, bless edify, share, and touch. Bless, edify, share, and touch. Bless each other. Speak words that say, I love you. I care for you. I'm glad God gave you to me. Edify. That means you build each other up. Don't be your husband's greatest critic. Don't be your wife's greatest critic. Be their greatest cheerleader. If there's correction that needs to come, Maybe not today. Learn to share. Open up. Don't shut down. Husbands, husbands, we are too quick, too often to say, 
well, you shouldn't feel that way. Does that promote sharing? <laughs> no, what happens when you say that? What happens is the other person shuts down. Instead, would God give us listening, sympathetic ears? Could we have more of that? And then we learn to share and open up. So many of us may be lonely in our marriages because this spouse is not either safe to open up or is so emotionally constipated that they can't. Oh, God, help us to share our lives as husbands and wives. And finally, to touch, the the non-sexual touching, holding hands, a hug, a pat on the back. So let's pray now. Let's pray that God would make our church a healing community for those who have been through divorce. Let's pray that He will deliver us from gossip because you don't know someone else's story. They're like you. If someone's been through divorce, they're just like you. They need a Savior. They need a lover of their soul. And let's let, if we are married, this gospel of grace apply to our lives and help us to love those He calls us to love. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray today that You would help us commit to You, to Jesus first. Lord, Lord, we come to You and we say, let our hearts be changed. Let our hearts be renewed. And may this renewal... Some of us are in difficult marriages. Some of us have been through the trauma of divorce. We feel beaten down and broken, abandoned. But we pray that our hearts today will be massaged, will be changed, flowing from the grace that we find in you. We ask, Jesus, for the privilege of being a healing community unto holiness for both those who've been through divorce and for those, O Lord, who need to rebuild and strengthen their marriage. Please, O God, we pray for our teenagers, our children. We pray that they would learn to walk in your ways, to walk in your paths, to love what you love, to hate what you hate. Always, always, always in relationship to you, the great bridegroom, the faithful bridegroom, the great lover of our souls, Jesus Christ. And we pray in your matchless name. Amen. Let's sing this prayer to him now. Stand. Make this your prayer now.